Alrighty, so tonight's reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just told me now about the good thing you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let them get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his, his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Good evening, everyone. Uh, great to be with you. Um, uh, first thing, there's a, a white car, license plate XA, 863L, the lights are on. Uh, you might want to check that, and if you go, I'll assume that it's not because I'm saying anything too controversial. Um, yeah, my name's Nick. I haven't met you before. Uh, um, it's great that you're here. It's, it's exciting to see some new faces and people I haven't met. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a chance to chat afterwards. A couple of people have asked, are we still a family of three? The answer is yes, on the outside at least. Um, uh, but this week, uh, my wife Emily, uh, we're 
expecting, anticipating to have our for, uh, second child, fourth family member. <laughs> um, so yeah, this, is, this will be my last Sunday for uh, a, a few weeks, I'm taking four weeks off, um, and I'll chat a little bit more about that later. But just to keep you, to keep you from guessing, yes, we're still um, a family three, otherwise I probably wouldn't be here. Um, plus Emily's here as well, <laughs> even more so. <laughs> Um, today's also a significant day, uh, Anzac Day. Um, uh, perhaps you were involved in a, a memorial service or a morning dawn service today. Uh, this morning we had a reflection. Um, and it's a significant day, thinking about those who gave their lives uh, so that we could enjoy uh, the freedom that Australia has. And um, I wonder if you put yourself in their situation, the Anzacs, in the trenches at Gallipoli, um, the, the bullets flying around, death all around you, the chaos and the carnage is just overwhelming. And wave after wave, uh, the Anzacs are being sent against uh, the Turkish machine guns, and there's, there's no hope. They're just gunned down. And now uh, while you're in that trench, you notice that the trench leads down to a tunnel that goes through to a beach. And a friend of yours comes and says, hey, mate, we could actually go and escape. We could, we could leave all this chaos. We could, we could leave it behind. You know, they're just, they're just using us as cannon fodder at this point. Let's just leave it and, and escape all this. What would you do in that situation? Let me tell you a different scenario. Um, you are fleeing an evil uh, tyrant, a tyrant king. Even though you have been established as the rightful king, the rightful uh, person on the throne of Israel, the guy before you is, is not okay with that. He hates that fact, and so he is chasing you down to kill you. Even though you are the rightful king, the previous king is chasing, hunting you down. And uh, you've been fleeing for a while, and, and there's been a few battles. Your men are exhausted, and you come across a cave, and so you enter into that cave to find some rest. Uh, and, and while you're in there, deep in that cave, you notice a, a person coming in and sitting down with their back to you, and you realize that is that king who's chasing you down. And here lies an opportunity before you to end it, to, 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 to stop all this needless struggle and, and chaos and fleeing, and your men come up to you and say, look, here's the moment that God has given over your enemy into your hands. Take your sword, strike him through, and you can take your throne. You can take what you deserve once and for all. What would you do? How would you respond? You know, in a toxic environment with, where your, your, your boss has unrealistic expectations of you, how do you respond? When someone accuses you of something that you are innocent of, how do you respond? Uh, I, so I share these examples to show that under pressure, who we really are tends to come out. You know, it's easy to be a good person. It's, it's easy to, to do the right thing when everything's going your way and life is bliss. Uh, but when, when things heat up, when the pressure comes, when we are squeezed, who we truly are comes out. How do we respond to things? What comes out? What do we do? Who are we really fighting for? 
in those moments? Do we stand firm on our values or do we take the easy way out? Do we stand with integrity or do we compromise? Now, I have an engineering background. I was a chemical engineer for five years before uh, starting Bible college, entering into um, ministry. And uh, when I started working engineer, I was quite surprised to find there was a thing called an integrity engineer. And, uh, and no, it wasn't someone who goes around and makes sure everyone's operating with you know, ethical values and that kind of thing. It's, integrity is a term used in mechanical and structural uh, circles about uh, in a, a tank or a vessel or a pump or whatever. Is it whole? Is it robust? Is it um, fit for purpose and uh, able to do the job it was designed to do? And so you have these integri integrity engineers going around and checking the equipment for rust, for wear, and subscribing maintenance schedule to make, th make sure that uh, things are up to scratch so that when pressure comes, when the tank is full or there's, there's uh, extreme weather or high flow rates or whatever, that the equipment will perform as it was designed under pressure. Now, it's, that's, that's the engineering idea, the engineering term, but it relates to when we talk about integrity, it's about wholeness. It's about doing what we were created to do and standing firm on our values under pressure. Uh, when, when, when we're accused, when we're persecuted, uh, when we're, we're, we're squeezed and, and things are tough, someone who has integrity maintains and acts out of their values. Uh, now, I've got a few uh, engineering um, analogies that will come out, so the engineers in the room will, will find this a very stirring message. Um, so you can look forward to that. And when, so we get to the story that uh, Abby read, really well, by the way, Abby read for us um, just now. And in it, we get a contrast between King Saul and King David. King Saul, the first king of Israel, and King David, who was... Uh, the, the, the person that we're, we're studying over this series on the life of David. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at Saul and, and think about what he does. We're going to consider David and reflect on what he does. Uh, Jesus might make an appearance at some point in this message, like he tends to do in sermons. But we'll also think about how could we stand with integrity under pressure? What can we learn so that we might uh, grow and live as people, uh, disciples of integrity. So let's have a think about King Saul. Uh, how, where did he come from? How did he rise to power? Well, the Israelite people, the people of the Old Testament, God's chosen people, they uh, were, were in Israel and they were complaining to God, why don't we have a king like the other nations? And so they wanted a king for themselves so that they could be like the other nations which is a pretty lame excuse to reason to get a king. And God calls them out for it. He says, don't you know that I am your king? But he does, he, he responds to them and he raises up a king, King Saul. And King Saul is, is initially quite a good king. He's a, a very charismatic person. He's literally a head above the rest, tall, uh, charismatic. He's um, honorable and uh, a very proud person. And initially, like a very successful and honorable king, uh, but slowly over time, uh, his, his character slowly erodes and erodes, and he's revealed for who he really is over time and where his allegiance really lies. 
And we get to this story in 1 Samuel 13, uh, and if you want to flick to it from verse 8, uh, where Paul's true values, his, where his heart is really at, is revealed. So let me uh, read that for you. Saul, not Paul. Very common uh, <laughs> challenge for anyone who's familiar with the New Testament and Saul who was renamed Paul. In the Old Testament, it's just Saul. So if I say Paul, I apologize. <laughs> I mean Saul. Um, anyway, so uh, the context of this, uh, uh, Saul is um, in battle with the Philistines, and the Philistines are winning, so he calls on Samuel, and so that Samuel might come and offer a, uh, a burnt offering um, and, uh, and a peace offering, so that God, so effectively inviting for God's favor in the battle. So that's the context, and Samuel sets uh, some time, but uh, yeah, so Saul waits seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Samuel's men began to, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, "Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings." And Saul offered offered up the burnt offering. Just as he had finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. "What have you done?" asked Samuel. Saul replied. When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would establish your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not sorry, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now this is a quite a confusing uh, passage because uh, Paul gets in trouble for offering a sacrifice. Saul. Saul gets in trouble for offering a sacrifice. And uh, aren't sacrifices good? Like, aren't they, isn't it a good thing to offer a sacrifice in the Old Testament? There seems to be a whole big thing about that. Well, the issue isn't the sacrifice. It's the means and the motive by which he makes that sacrifice. Uh, because uh, Saul was a Benjamite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, God's law dictated that only the Levites could offer sacrifices, uh, particularly burnt offerings, particularly fellowship offerings. And so when uh, Saul saw his people scatter and he thought, I've got to do something, and he thought, hey, I know how to you know, run a barbecue. I can burn a lamb. Like, we, can, we can figure this out. And so he does the, the offering himself. And by doing that, he does it against God's law, not according to how God prescribed sacrifice, but against that. He didn't obey God's law in that moment. And so the means was disobedient. But even more significant, the motivation, the motivation uh, was, was wrong. Because why did he uh, do this sacrifice? It's because he was worried about his people scattering. His people were leaving him, and he thought, I've got to do something to maintain the favor of the people. And so he compromised God's law so that he could maintain the favor of uh, the people. And this goes back to, to like the big issue that the book of 1 Samuel begins with. 
It begins uh, describing Israel as a, a community, a people, a nation, where everyone does whatever they see fit. And so it was a chaos of people doing whatever they thought was right. And what Israel needed was a king who would lead them in God's way. But what they got was a king who just gave over to whatever the crowd wanted. And Saul disobeys God so that he could gain the favor of the people. And there's a, there's a lesson for leaders here, a quick, quick tangent. Uh, we lead not for the favor of people, but we lead for the benefit of people. And it takes integrity to, to know the difference. And I wonder, I wonder, just to get political for a second, I wonder what our country would be like if politicians were more concerned about good policy rather than poll results. But, it, you know, bringing it back to us, what about ourselves? How The people we lead in, uh, in small groups or, or in our families or uh, at work or the people we might be responsible over, do we lead for their favor or do we lead for their benefit? Do we lead to serve ourselves? Do we lead to serve others? And Saul is clear, he listens to the people. He doesn't listen to God, he listens to the people. And, and this desire to please people and this self-serving desire to curry people's favor is like a rust slowly corroding Saul and revealing him for who he truly is and revealing what's on the inside. Uh, chipping away, corrupting him. And so that when he faced a significant problem under pressure, he was, he, what was inside came out. And he, it showed where his, his heart and his allegiance truly lied. And the Lord was seeking after a man after the Lord's own heart, but Saul was after his own heart. And his allegiance was not with God. It wasn't even with the people. It was with himself. Because if you idolize the favor of others, really you are idolizing yourself. And this pattern repeats of Saul disobeying God in order to earn the favor of the people or to serve himself. And, uh, and so this, the Spirit of the Lord departs from Saul. God's anointing as king leaves Saul, and it turns to someone else, uh, one whose heart is after the Lord, who, who truly will serve and lead God according to his law. And we've been hearing about that person over the last few weeks. That's King David, the, the, the main character of our sermon series. A young man who defeated Goliath, a, who played music to soothe Saul, who uh, was, a, um, was promoted to a general in his army and led great battles and, and was growing in popularity amongst the Israelite people. He was the one who truly was God's anointed king, selected by God to rule over Israel. But Saul refused to let go of the throne. Like, like a, a toddler refusing to let go of a toy. And, and he just made a, he had a massive tantrum. Like, I know what this is like. Our son, Josh, he does not have the spiritual gift of sharing yet. He's growing. But, you know, and you, you've, I'm sure you've all seen that before or even done it yourselves where you just refuse to let go of something. And, and seeing a young child like just putting up a massive tantrum. That's what we see with Saul. 
he's quite irrational how he responds. He gets jealous of David, and that, that jealousy turns to spite, turns to hate, and he eventually comes out to kill David, even though he's his, his own family, he's married to his daughter, he's good friends with Jonathan, his son. And so he pursues David across Israel. And uh, he, at the beginning of our passage today, it says he went out with 3,000 people, which is the same amount of soldiers that he goes to, to fight a Philistine army. So the same amount of people that he fights an army, he goes to pursue one man who poses no true risk to him. It's irrational. It's a massive tantrum. He's shown for who he really is. And so he's pursuing David, and David with his, with his men flee into a cave, and, um, and then Saul enters that cave. And verse, uh, where is it, verse... Verse 3, Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, what um, the term there is a Hebrew idiom. Uh, it says that he would go to, uh, to cover his feet. And effectively, what it means is he's doing a number two. So that's what that's referring to. And so Saul goes into the cave to do his business. And there's David and his people seeing Paul doing his business. And Saul, <laughs> thank you. Um, obviously, I'm too involved in the New Testament. Uh, and David has an opportunity before him. Here's Saul in an incredible, vulnerable place, and David has an opportunity to claim the throne. And his men come around him and say, David, look, this is the moment that God has handed over your enemy into your hand, so you can take what is rightfully yours. You can kill Saul now, and, and it'll just end all this struggle all this um, business of fleeing this evil tyrant. And David goes, he, he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe, but he will not kill him. He cannot bring himself to kill him. And he says to his men, the Lord forbid that I, I should do this thing to my Lord, to, to my master, uh, the Lord's anointed. I will not lay a hand on him. And David persuaded his men and wouldn't allow them to, to kill him either. And Saul left the cave unharmed, the opportunity gone. But David uh, goes and pursues Saul. He comes out and he, and he calls out, My Lord, the King. And Saul looked behind him and he saw David. And David uh, does this amazing thing where he falls prostrate on the ground before Saul. And so there was this moment where Saul was in his, this position of incredible vulnerability uh, and David didn't harm him. And then, then Saul leaves, David comes after him and then he puts himself, like lies down, face down on the floor, puts himself in this position of incredible vulnerability in front of the man who was out to kill him. And David honors Saul uh, with his actions. He also honors Saul with his words. Uh, he asks Saul, why do you listen to the, to the rumors, to the lies that say, I am bent on harming you? You've seen with your own eyes that I'm, uh, the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. And some urged me to kill you, but I would not... Uh, strike the Lord's anointed. I spared you. And he shows him the piece of his robe to prove that he had the, the means and the opportunity 
And then he, he answers this fascinating discussion. He says, I will leave it to the Lord to judge between us. He shares that uh, the, um, the old saying, from evildoers come evil deeds. Well, effectively what he's saying is our deeds will show us for who we really are. And I have not harmed you. I will not treat you like my enemy. In fact, I'm treating you like my master, my king. But he asked Saul, why are you pursuing me like a dog, like a flea? May the Lord judge between us. And what we see is, is David, like who is David listening to in this interaction? Who, who is David listening to? His men is urging him on to kill Saul, but he will not listen to them because he, will, he must obey the law of the Lord. He will not harm God's anointed. And under pressure in that moment, he stands with integrity because he is obedient and he trusts God. And Saul hears all this. He, he realizes what happened, what has just happened and what he has been doing and what David has just done. And he, he's cut to the heart. He falls down. He's, he weeps. And he, he acknowledges, David, you are more righteous than I. You are in the right. I am in the wrong. You had the opportunity to kill me, but you spared my life. But I have been pursuing you and hunting you down. When a man finds his enemy, who would let him go away unharmed? And Saul, in a moment of, of clarity, recognizes that David is the one true king of Israel. He says, I know that you will surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. And he asks David to spare his children. And then David, uh, they make that oath, and they both separate and go their separate ways. And in this, we see a, an amazing contrast between King Saul and King David, where Saul listened to people and carried their favor, sought to earn the favor of people. David listened to God and sought God's favor. Where Saul compromised God's law uh, to, to earn the favor of, of the people, David compromised the favor of people and even his position as king so that he would obey, be obedient to God's law. Saul was the illegitimate king who was not anointed by God. He was not God's king, uh, but he would not let that go. He clung to the throne and, and refusing to let it go and had a massive tantrum, irrational clinging to what was not rightfully his. Whereas David, who was the legitimate king, would not take it uh, into his own hands. He would not take what was God's to give. Uh, the throne. Saul, under pressure, he compromised, he was selfish, he was dishonest. David, under pressure, stood firm on his values, maintained integrity, was obedient to what God, uh, what God said in God's way. And so, where did David's integrity come from? How, do we, how can we learn this? Where do we see this worked out? And I think we can, we can notice two things. It came first from his commitment to God's law. He refused to kill the Lord's anointed. He would not strike out against the king. Even though he was the rightful king, he acknowledged Saul that he was a king that God had selected and he would not kill him. And he was committed to, what God, to God's law. 
And second, it came from his confidence in God's sovereignty. Multiple times he says to Saul, uh, I, I trust uh, God to judge between you and me. And David will not take shortcuts or compromise in order to, to ascend into the throne. Uh, he trusts that God would be the one who would establish his kingship and his kingdom. He would not cheat or compromise or take shortcuts. He trusted God and God's sovereignty uh, to do that for him. And we, we know this particularly because while David was in that cave, he wrote a couple of psalms. Uh, Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. They were actually really great psalms to read. After hearing this story and reflecting over these things, it would be great to read both of these later tonight or during the week. Uh, but let me just read the first three verses that kind of reveal uh, David's heart and what's motivating him. Psalm 57, it says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to the God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put me to shame. Sorry, He will put to shame Him who tramples on me. God will send out His steadfast love and His faithfulness. Right, He says, "I cry out to the God Most High, the God who fulfills His purposes for me." He will not go and, and sort himself out, figure out his own purposes. He trusts in the God who will sort out his purposes for him. He will not kill the king because he trusts in God's sovereignty and God's promise that he, God, Yahweh, will establish him as king and establish God's kingdom forever. David's integrity comes his, from his commitment to God's law and his confidence in God's sovereignty. And there's a third to compare in this story, in this scenario. There's another king who comes later, who is tempted in a, in a desert and, and given three ways that he could quickly ascend and become king and usher in his kingdom. Three uh, cheats or compromises, but he refuses to take them up because he refuses to compromise God's law. It's a king who's not welcomed as a king, but condemned as a criminal even though he's, he's totally in, innocent. And even as he carries his own cross, the instrument of his execution up a hill, there are people around him telling him, you don't have to go through this. Just call down the angels and they will come save you. And he had that power. But he refused to give in. He refused to compromise. And as he ascended the hill, Jesus died on a cross uh, even in, he, he, he had a profound anguish, even in his own soul the night before, he, he cried out to God, God, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done, Jesus prayed. And so in that moment of, of incredible pressure, pressure that none of us could even conceive, Jesus remained faithful he remained faithful to God's purposes for him. He remained faithful to God's law. He remained faithful uh, to, to God's people as he hung and died so that God's people could be set free and forgiven. He listens to God. He obeys. And under pressure, he submits to God's will. Now, the, the message, the reason I share that is not... 
uh, to, to say that we should be like David because Jesus was like David. Or, you know, a trick, um, uh, not a trick, a method that a lot of preachers do or something that pretty much all preachers think about in, in when preaching through the Old Testament is where does Jesus fit into this story? Like, how do we connect this to Jesus? And one way of doing that is seeing um, people's response and people's actions and think, oh, that's a model that Jesus fulfills. And it, we certainly see that here. But there's something much more profound and much deeper. Because the, the, the promises that David hoped in and God's sovereignty that he put his trust in is fulfilled by what Jesus did on that cross. David trusted that God would establish his kingdom once and for all. And God did that through Jesus' work on the cross and rising him from the dead. And so the hope that, G- that David had, Jesus fulfilled. Not only is Jesus the model of, of great integrity, he's the means by which we can stand with integrity, that we could uh, commit ourselves to God's law, that we can have hope and trust in his sovereignty. Because God has promised us a place in his kingdom. And all who trust in Jesus, even though there have been times that we've been selfish, that we've been seeking the favor of other people rather than, than the God who created us, there's times that we've made ourselves king and, or refused to let go of, of that authority over our own lives, that we will be our own bosses. We, will, we get to do what we want rather than the, uh, God telling us what to do. Even though we were broken and we were fractured, we were corrupted, God loved us and God sent his son to save us. And we've, we've been brought in and uh, made new. God didn't save us so that we could try and be more like Jesus. God saved us so that we could be a brand new creation. We could come into his family. And that is a hope that we are sure of. That is a hope that is fulfilled in Jesus. And so when, when the pressure heats up, when things get tough, when we're persecuted or we're exhausted or whatever, we, we don't need it to compromise. We don't need to take shortcuts. We don't need to fight for our own rights at the expense of others because we know we have a God who loves us, who has a place for us, who is, uh, who, yeah, who loves us. Worth saying twice. Worth saying a lot of times. And he's coming again to usher in his eternal kingdom forever. And so as we, uh, as we think about this and we reflect on uh, our commitment to God's law and to our hope in God's sovereignty, when we take a minute, how can we grow in integrity? How can we grow in integrity? And uh, to do this, I might uh, draw from the experience uh, of uh, integrity engineers, which I'm a chemical engineer, so this is way outside my uh, expertise. Um, but uh, integrity engineers, they do two main things. Uh, first is uh, they, they prescribe maintenance, and the second thing is they do diagnostics when things fail. So what is the maintenance we should prescribe on ourselves so that uh, we can grow in integrity, we can maintain integrity. And when the pressure comes, we know we can be sure that we'll stand firm or, or at least grow in that. And the first thing is committing ourselves to God's Word. Actually, uh, recognizing that God does speak into our world, into our world, that He does desire to communicate it, and He has done that through His Word. And so as we grow in integrity, as we grow to be obedient 
to what God says, a big part of that is reading it and studying it and learning it. And not just reading it, but obeying it and seeking to grow in that. So that's one thing we can do. The next thing, as we commit ourselves to God's Word, we also grow in confidence in His sovereignty. And I wonder what what grows your confidence? Because not everything works for everyone, but everyone should do something. And I thought of four things that we could do to grow our confidence in God's sovereignty. The first is worship. Actually, to sing songs of God's sovereignty, of His power, of the hope that we have. And not just engage our mind and logic, but engage our hearts and emotions so that we we grow in confidence, not just knowing the data, but knowing the person of who we trust in and growing as we worship Him, declare who He is and what He's done and what He's coming to do again. We can, we can dig deep in His Word. So, first one is worship. Then Word, just reading what God has done for us and what He will do for us and unpacking that. The third is community, spending time in God's, amongst God's people so that we can encourage one another and uh, bless one another and remind one another God's promises and His sovereignty and His power. The last one is spending time in creation, actually going and observing what God uh, has created and recognizing in the intricate detail and the power there that God is the sovereign creator. So there's four things we can do, worship, word, community, creation. Uh, I was talking to someone uh, after the morning service uh, this morning and uh, she shared a great analogy of this, of, you know, when you're walking around with a cup and um, you've got a cup of coffee and it spills and you think, oh, someone knocks you and it spills and, and you say, oh, why did you knock me? And you made coffee come out of my cup. And the, re- the reason that it was coffee that came out is not because the person knocked you, but because you put coffee in the cup in the first place. If it was tea, tea would come out. If it was water, water would come out. And it's a simple analogy that what comes out when we're under pressure is what we put in. And so what are we feeding ourselves? What are we putting in in the times where things are going well, when, when things are, 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 are quiet, are peaceful? What maintenance programs are we creating for, prescribing for ourselves? The next thing uh, to do is, is diagnostics. And so, and that's just the, the small and challenging tasks of actually reflecting when we do react to things and when we do act out or speak out or how we act under pressure, taking the time to reflect, why did we act like that? What emotions was I feeling? Was I feeling angry or frustrated or sad or hurt? And where did that emotion come from? Where did that come from? What am I, what am I afraid of losing? Where am I afraid of being hurt? What, what am I really fighting for? Is that who I want to be? And, and by asking those questions, reflecting on those things, uh, it will unpack and, and God will reveal to us parts of our lives that aren't 
uh, heart, uh, where our hearts aren't after God, but after other things. And we can bring that to God and ask for forgiveness. And He will change us. As we come to the cross, asking for forgiveness, we, we, you know, the Bible says we are a new creation. God transforms us by His Spirit to set our hearts after Him so that we can live and act and our, our, even our core purpose would be after God and not ourselves. And the other diagnostic question to, to ask is, who are we listening to? What voices are we giving time in our lives? Who are we listening to? And how are we compromising obedience to God's way so that we could earn the, the, the favor of the people, the society, the culture around us? You know, I think as a church, uh, do, we, do we stand with integrity as a community or are we comp- compromising to suit the society, the culture that we exist in? You know, our, our culture around us is d- uh, driving us to deny God as the only way, to uh, deny that the, God's law is, uh, is effective in all areas of life is uh, pushing us to say that the, the most important thing above anything else is how people feel. And we're called to, to compromise and to change. Uh, but is that, is that how we want to live? To change our culture to suit the world around us? Or do we want to stay committed to God's law and His way for us? Now, I would say... We do need to be careful how we respond. We don't want to go into, like, become like Saul and hold on to uh, our own um, world view with, you know, like, like a small child clinging onto and refusing to listen to anyone else critique us or to, to challenge us. That is not the way we should be responding and actually uh, is certainly not the biblical way. Clinging on to Christendom and retaliating in kind uh, when someone challenges us or our culture or the way we do things. But I think what we need to do is we need to be good at listening. Not listening so that we can change, but listening so that we can hear people, hear their stories, know who they are. So not retaliating or ignoring or conforming, but listening. Because behind the, the woke voices of our culture that are pushing us in every, every other direction are people who need Jesus. Who need to hear the hope uh, of, of the gospel, who need to be loved, who long to belong, uh, who need a savior, just like all of us. Now, when we are accused, even though we're innocent and we retaliate uh, well, and, and uh, when we are under pressure and we, we, we stand with integrity, do the right thing, in those moments, just because we do the right thing doesn't mean that the outcome will be good for us. You just think of, of David. Uh, at the end of a chapter, it tied up quite nicely that, you know, David gave his oath and they went their separate ways. But after this, just a chapter later, Saul is after him again, pursuing him, hunting him down to kill him. And things actually get worse for David for a season. And so just because we might do the right thing under pressure does not mean that the pressure will go away or the situation, the outcome would be good for us. I think we all know that. We, we get that. But the value of our actions is not determined by the outcome. The value of our action is determined by our faithfulness, our obedience, our trust 
in God's sovereignty. David carried himself with integrity because he knew that God would establish his kingdom. In our ever-changing, ever-compromising world, the church is to carry ourselves with integrity because we know God has established his kingdom. And we are part of it. So let's stand firm, committing ourselves to the word of God and trusting in his sovereignty, in his promises, in his work that he did through Jesus on the cross. God is powerful and sovereign. He works for the good of all who love him. Let's trust that and live like we believe that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for David and we thank you for Jesus. Uh, We just pray that we would live with integrity, that in the moments of incredible pressure and challenge, and I wonder, I imagine there are people here who are in really hard situations uh, and and difficult circumstances. And God, I just pray that that you would uh, grow them and and be with them in, in the fire, in the challenge. Uh, God, we thank you that you're a God that is just is not okay with suffering. You came into the world through Jesus so that we could be your people, we could belong to you, that we could be part of your kingdom. And we thank you for your promises. And we thank you for your character. We thank you for your love for us. And God, we pray that in those moments of challenge, we remember who we are and who you have created us to be. And we would live lives that reflect that. And God, we pray that it wouldn't be so that we people see us and go, oh, look how great Nick is. But people would see us and say, hey, look how great God is. And bring you glory and bring you honor and worth and praise. God, we thank you so much for the work you're doing in our lives. By your spirit, we pray you would continue to do that. Continue conforming our heart after you. That we would know you and love you. And obey you in everything, the small things and the big things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's going to be um, uh, Craig and Jenny up the back corner here. uh, And myself, um, ready to pray with anyone who would like to pray about anything. Perhaps something that came up or a situation that you're really struggling in in or, or trying to figure out how to respond. We'd love to pray with you. Or even things are going great and you want to praise God. Uh, we would love to bring that before the Lord. Um, I'm going to hand back to Ivy. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.